Dotnet Rocks, episode 1104, with guest Michelle Rue Bustamante. Recorded Friday, February 13th, 2015. Yes, it's another .NET Rocks. Indeed. Indeed. How are you, my friend? Verily, I say unto thee. Okay. I have ordered one of those LG 34-inch curved displays. Because, yeah. Because, yeah. And How much did that set you back? They're about $1,300. Okay. Which is expensive, but, you know, I, the I'll monitor make- rig that it would replace, I think I paid five grand for oh. eight years ago. And how big is it, pixel-wise? It's 3840 by 1440. And the size of the monitor? 34 inches. Oh, my goodness. I got to get me one of them. Yeah. And it it is a separate 100-millimeter Visa mount that you have to order for it. But uh, no availability. Just out everywhere. I don't Uh know if they've even had the first shipments in. So, it's probably going to be a couple months before I actually get one. Oh, boy. Yeah, well, it happens. You that know, happens. Popular right. stuff. That means it's popular and people like it. I guess. Yeah. Well, it's going to be an experiment to see what I see, what I feel in this curved monitor world. Yeah. You'll have to keep us informed of that. I will. Uh, music to code by is selling rapidly. Nice. Congratulations. And, and people are using it too. This is what I really wanted was some people to, um, you know, report back on, on their usage of it. Steve Smith, who just had twins, well, his wife and he had twins. Uh, they're sort of preemie, you know, and, uh, he found that putting the, the music on really soothed them. Nice. And, uh, it worked really, really well. That's cool. Yeah. So it's not just music to code by, it's music to flow by. Okay. That's cool. All right, man. Let's roll the music for, uh, better know framework. Awesome. All right, buddy. What do you got? All right, Michelle, are you there? I'm here. All right. Now, usually the guest just sits quietly and waits for us to introduce them. But in this case, this is for Michelle. Oh. This is because, oh. you know, Michelle used to be a bartender, right? Right. I did. Well, how could you possibly combine geekiness and bartenderness in one product? I give you tinyurl.com slash USB mini fridge. <laughs> It's a little fridge. That's right. It's a mini I'm US- going there. I'm looking. <laughs> it holds one can. Oh, you're kidding <laughs> and me. And it plugs into USB. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but get this. It can also be a warmer. So if you've got a hot cup of coffee, you can put that in there too and keep it warm. Uh, it must be a Peltier device. Yeah, okay. Oh, I love that. Want. Isn't that awesome? That's ridiculous. I want that. That's awesome. <laughs> You know so, what? Yeah, go ahead. Ordering now. <laughs> Click done. Buying. <laughs> must must own now. <laughs> one that's one click order from Amazon right there. There you go. <laughs> Only 15.99. Yeah, 16 go. bucks of pure happiness. <laughs> oh my god. Hey Richard, who's talking to us today? Grab a comment off of show 874, one we did with Michelle a while ago actually. Uh, talking about starting startups. And we talked about a lot of different sort of learning models and, and things like that. I mean, it was a couple of years ago. 
And the uh, the comment that really popped out for me was from Philip Monet, who yeah. said, uh, I enjoyed the show, but I also wanted to mention that if you're a solo founder and don't want to or cannot afford a traditional incubator channel, you know, go into one of those incubators where you, you basically got to work on it full time, but normally it's built for teams. You can leverage programs like Rob Walling's Micropreneur Academy, and he provided the links. It's micropreneur.com. Uh, and there are podcasts. The startup podcast is awesome. Uh, tech zing and startups of the rest of us, uh, do talk about not doing the Silicon Valley startup thing, the big money incubator, so forth, but more, I want to start a company just me. Yeah. Or me and my, you know, significant other or, or partner. It's a little simpler. Uh, it's, it, it's a huge space. We, you know, people have been creating companies for a long time. Just because the word startups become hip doesn't mean it really has changed all that much. So, Philip, thanks so much for your comment. .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or with any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Windows 8, iOS, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Android. And that brings us to Michelle. She's been on the show many times before. Michelle LaRue Bustamante is founder and CIO of Saliance, a Microsoft regional director and Azure MVP and co-author of Developing Azure Solutions from Microsoft Press. Welcome back, Michelle. Hey there. Thank you for having me. Officially. And we also need to give people a word of warning. It is tradition on Michelle's <gasps> shows that she tells a dirty joke at the end of the show. So if you have sensitive listeners, just uh, we'll, we'll know. You'll know when the time is and you can switch the channel. Because <laughs> we already had a request on Twitter. Uh -oh. uh, Jim Bennett asks, what is your favorite Azure-themed dirty joke? So we'll give you an hour to think of that. Azure themed. Uh, oh my That's goodness. a tall request. <laughs> what? You don't have any? Uh-oh. Yeah, I don't All know. Right. I mean, you know, I try to keep Azure clean, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, All I right. do sell security services and, uh, you know, 24-7 operations. You make That's that true. dirty, it might not go so well for the business. Okay. Well, you got a point there. But yeah. I'm sure you got something you can There's share. There's a limit, people. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so one other tweet that we got was, please, please, please speed up the Azure cloud service emulator. Some of us still use it. I have never used the Azure cloud service emulator. What oh, is that? Dear. The emulator that's, well, that's related to the original, you know, offering from Microsoft was something called cloud services, which actually now has a few meanings. So you got to be careful when you say that. Right. Um, cloud services is a platform as a service offering, like websites is a platform as a service offering, but it has a different sort of runtime and management model in, in that, you know, when you deploy, you're actually deploying a package mm -hmm. that's a zip file with a configuration associated that then gets pushed out to the application fabric, which generates VMs for you. So you say, I need three, it generates three, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but when you run, Locally, because you're running this configuration that sort of builds the topology of your service, you have to run in a local app fabric of sorts. And so there's this thing called the developer fabric. And when you run this emulator for the fabric, it it does tend to be slow and, and it's not an ideal experience. So um, I think there were many improvements for that over the past couple of years. Remember, it's now whatever, mm -hmm. three years in, right? Since right. we originally touched on that service. Um, 
But because most people are moving to websites, I mean, that's a really good thing to clarify, right, to to folks. And this is definitely a subject that I, I find very interesting today. There is so little reason for people to go to cloud services today because websites essentially has all the features that you could need. Right. Um, I'm actually in the process of now starting to migrate previously created cloud services over to websites because I simply just don't want to deal with the fabric, you know, uh, model anymore, right? I don't want to deal with the emulator. I don't want to deal with a different deployment pattern. Websites have all grows up and they have, <laughs> you know, really like everything you could want. And they also have obviously exposure in the new portal, which gives me at my fingertips all kinds of goodness for, you know, a lean approach to managing Right. you know, my entire deployment, right? So, oh. um, so this is the old app role, web role, yes, the original exactly. Azure product. And, and this is another, I'm glad you mentioned, you know, roles because, you know, traditionally, right, you would build a web role for an IIS deployment with right. the cloud service, but then you'd have a worker role for something that might look like a Windows service would in the cloud. Sure, right. And, you know, that would have been the one thing I would still use cloud services for. But now we have, you know, web jobs, da, 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 da. Yeah. And, you know, a web job can also read from a queue and do some processing on that queue and, and run functionality on your website. And you can isolate that on its own VM, which is one of the entire purposes, right, of having a, a worker role separate from your websites would be so that you could scale it separately, right? Like spin up and down. Um, like I've built services that generate images and when there's like a whole boatload to run, like say 20,000, you spin up 19 servers and then you spin it down again to, you know, to two or, you know, or even one because you're pulling from a queue. So it doesn't have to be redundant. Um, and I now don't have to do that, right? I can go over to a, create a new website, put it on its own VM, spin it up and down and run it on a web job. So yeah. what's the advantage of that? And the reason I'd consider doing that instead of the worker role is that, I actually get now a list of history of those jobs running. So I don't have that out of the gate with my worker role. I have to write all that code. I have to create those logs. I have to, you know, build that into my application. Right, and right. Not that it's hard, but why wouldn't I take what I can get for free, right? Is so, there any reason that you would think somebody might still be stuck with uh, the old technology? And not yes, able to move. And I don't know if I'd call it stuck, right? I would say that what cloud services gives us today is something of a sweet spot that you could customize the deployment on the VM, mm -hmm. customize something about IIS setup that you can't get to on the website, customize something on the VM, like run a task, um, a startup task that installs an MSI that you couldn't get on the VM because there's no NuGet package. Um, and, and if I really needed to do that, but I didn't want to go all in and, and have a VM that I manage, right? Yeah. Which is going back the, which means I don't get my PaaS features, right? I have to now patch, uh, the operating system and manage the security. And maybe I just don't want to deal with that. Then I would go to the cloud service. Okay. So I, I, I predict that at some point in the future, there will be some sort of smashing between, you know, VMs and websites that maybe, doesn't look the same as what we see today, but I don't have any concrete, you know, information about that. I would just say that it's inevitable because websites is just continuing to evolve and give us more and more of ability to do what we need, which is reducing the need to go to the cloud service. Yeah, okay. and I wonder if they're just going to phase that out at some point. Well, that's what I'm saying is I, I, 
I think I would be careful not to say phase it out completely, but maybe it's just going to evolve and be easier to work with or something, right? right? Like instead of being stuck with the emulator, maybe something else will happen. So, um, so I would say there was a time I would have to have someone convince me I can put this on a website. And that time was a few years back. And I remember very clearly having discussions of this with, you know, my business partners, right? Brian Noyes and Zoyner mm. Tejada. And, and Zoyner would spend a bunch of time at websites and he's like, yeah, we can do it in website. Yeah, it's going to be available because he was talking to the team and he knew what was coming. Right. And I said, okay, I'll go for it. And sure enough, like, you know, probably six months later, I was like, okay, I believe you. <laughs> and, <laughs> yeah. You know, and now two years later, I'm completely for a long time now, over a year, I'm sure in that camp, right? Which is, wow, there's really very little that forces me to go to a cloud service anymore. And I, right. I love the PaaS model because of the DevOps story it provides because of the ease of deployment and recovery and swap and, and just the, the, the fact that it allows me to have a super lean team managing that part of the life cycle of development, right. Mm. And managing production and managing other, uh, you know, uh, environments like development and test, um, you know, VMs are great and Azure does a bang up job of that and they can go head to head with Amazon any day um, but they have a sweet spot, which is this past story. And it's just an awesome story, you know? So if we keep going up higher and higher, do we get to mass management as a service? <laughs> so, that's, yeah. so you can just have somebody well, do the whole thing? Well, I mean, think about what that means, right? So back in 2001, when I was hosting 24-7 ops on Linux boxes, and we had to procure the equipment and procure and set up the colo facility and check that there was redundant everything, including the connectivity to the internet, right, and, and wiring, um, you know, that that was very hard to do. And so your other option was to go with a managed provider, which was extremely expensive, mm -hmm. but then they supposedly did all that for you. Right. They charged a lot of money to do that back in the day, which is why we wouldn't, we didn't go that route. We had the staffing instead and also the pain and the requirement of building all of the stories around disaster recovery and, and so forth. So, so today I think the equivalent of that is you go, with a cloud provider that gives you whatever features you can to simplify things. And then you have either consultancies or whatnot that handle your management, right? So, you know, we are not in the business of managing people's clouds mm -hmm. at Alliance, but we are in the business of making our specific customers successful as they need it, right? So when we help someone move to the cloud, we might spend a period of time, maybe a year or two, slowly weaning off the need to have us jump in and solve problems but making sure they have a team that's getting educated and understanding how to review their logs and how right. to keep the service up and running. And, and frankly, that story is quite different for every single system because of the way the system is architected and developed and the different problems different systems can bring to the table that are not predictable, right? Um, yeah. So, so yeah. I think that a, an so interactive you are the story management. like that. You are the yeah, management are. service. We are the management until someone takes it back. So like I said, I wouldn't say we're in the business of managing anybody who comes to the table. But if we helped you build it or we helped you move it, then then we get involved there. So the reason I say that um, is, is because I think that that story is probably happening in other people's experiences, maybe with other companies as well. Um, that move them to Azure specifically, perhaps. Um, and, and I think that the, that's a tighter relationship, which is good because then you know the software. If you just hand it over to somebody who doesn't know your software, 
then they could still help you troubleshoot a problem for sure. I wouldn't take that away, but mm. they're not going to be as effective as somebody who understands the software and the architecture. So how do you create that link? Yeah, like well, that? it makes me wonder if this isn't the new model as a consultant is mm -hmm. you, it's, you are a custom software as a service provider. Right. You know, isn't that where you're headed? Now you can charge monthly for the operations part of it as well right. and continue maintenance and so forth. And you own the whole problem. Because in the end, the customer doesn't want they don't to want, own software. They don't want any of it. They, they just don't want, want any of it. They, they just, just want, want a solution. Right. They right. just want to sell stuff. Or well, and that depends on if it's a true technology company that has a team and a staff or not. Well, I mean, the question is, oh, should they? I mean, even if they do, right. should they? Right. Yeah, I, it is a good question. I, I do think that if you're going to have somebody manage your operation in the cloud, that it is imperative that there is a link between, you know, somebody who knows the software talking to somebody who understands the cloud. Right. And if that happens to be one person because you helped build the software and architect it, then that's, you know, bingo, right? You're done. Um, if it doesn't, then you need the team, which means maybe it's a collaboration between the people that build the software, somebody who's representative on the company side with the company that can help you with the, you know, solving of the problems, right? I mean, I was on call with, you know, several of us at, at Salience for, you know, a couple of our customers um, for better part of a year. And there would be ebbs and flows of issues, right? Sure. Where stuff would happen and you'd get some extra traffic and you had to figure it out. And, and it wasn't, you know, you, you know, people talk about autoscale and autoscale is a great feature, but it's not that easy, right? I mean, you, you have to look at how's the software developed? Was it built in a way that like can that. scale easily. Mm -hmm. um, if, if, you know, I mean, if a software solution has, you know, whatever, a hundred features, you know, in the real world, it's not just hello world, right? Uh, so there's an awful lot of moving parts and, and not all of those parts were built with the cloud in mind. So when you migrate to the cloud, you want someone by your side to, to help you navigate problems that arise because visibility into the problems is there with the logs and the things that, that you can do with logging and the things that come for free, even in a PaaS environment, right? You can get your event logs, but not everybody knows like how to navigate those problems. And, and, and frankly, sure. it's different for every situation. So it's not even so much, do you know how to navigate it? And you can give someone a boilerplate. It's more like, do you have the experiences behind you that you can say, okay, here's where we need to look next and help people through that process, right? You know, uh, over on the run as side, uh, I did a show a while ago, last fall, uh, 391, uh, running a private cloud with Alan Sagano. And, uh, and Alan, I'd interviewed a number of times over the years, uh, and he's kept changing roles, sort of evolving uh, in the cloud space. And he now runs a business where he is running private cloud for a bunch of companies and he's getting right. the elasticity effect that he's sharing effectively, you know, has a common pool of compute resources. Sure, the VMs are all isolated, but the fact is, you know, his, his customers can demand more resource and he can scale them automatically. And he's finally hit that point where you have enough customers that you have provisioned enough gear that you can handle those variations without any one company needing to panic. Right. And he's not using Azure or Amazon. He's actually got no. his own. He's running it out of a separate data center, set up the wow. whole system himself. But, you know, right. I'm just, if you were getting into the business today as I a consultant building custom software, because what's the problem with the custom software business? 
you, you know, you're constantly churning, right? You bring, you, you build an app for a company. Maybe they get a new version. Maybe they don't. Like it's a sort of a, a weird cadence and, and the software goes dead. I get phone calls for software I wrote 20 years ago, you know, and I have no idea anymore. Like that, that's ancient technology. So, oh my God. Can you imagine? I, I just sort of envision like, is this where we're headed? That as a service, I become a service provider. I happen to build custom software. I run it on infrastructure that I provide for a monthly fee to this company. They just get the service. And there's maybe separate fees for new features and, and versions, but there's a monthly fee so that I get a steady cash flow too. You, you could sort of get to a place where eventually you're not building a lot of new software. You're just managing mm -hmm. the customers you've got. Well, and I think a retainer works well for that too, you know, because here's, here's the situation you have, you know, help me manage my monthly cloud. So maybe a service fee in general that, you know, for this amount, you know, obviously you're getting the machines and servers and that's where Azure licensing comes in and so forth, for example, yeah. or Amazon. Um, and then you've got on top of that, you know, your effort watching logs, keeping an eye out, getting alerts, continuing to, you know, improve the story around alerts and monitoring if, if that's part of the package, cause that's extra effort. Um, and then you've got something just hit the fan. What do I right. do now? Who's the firefighter? And, and the thing is, is firefighting is expensive. So yes. you don't need to do it every month. You may not need to do it, you know, even in six months, but there's going to be potentially a period where something goes on and it could be related to the software and it requires investigation. And what you want is a budget for emergencies where you can put the right person on that to solve mm. the problem quickly. Mm -hmm. right? right. And I think that that's hard to put into a monthly fee because you don't want to pay for it if you don't need it. But when it happens, the person who's providing those services has to get paid for their time. And what you don't want is to have someone that doesn't know what they're doing, who's just cheaper by the hour to just, do it, right? You want to find people that know exactly that particular cloud, that mm -hmm. particular technology, that particular type of messaging or communication or whatever the problem is, right? I mean, yeah, yeah. you know, like I, I, I think, you know, I kind of go back to this alliance model of business, right? Which is, you know, I, I have a lot of areas of expertise that I focus on. I'm also becoming more and more high level as time goes by because I manage overall quality and architectural security and and 24 7 scalability for a lot of things and the devops planning and getting it done but you know there's all kinds of areas i don't touch like big data and you know maybe a very granular piece of azure that needs an implementation like media services or something right. like that um and you know when something goes wrong in various areas what you want is to call on a person that just focuses on that area and what company has all those people nobody so what we do is assemble the team on the fly, like, oh, well, I happen to know like somebody who's like an expert at media services. Let me just get them in here. Like they've been through it. They've been there, done that. They can help you out quickly. Whereas I might have to spend like three days just getting up to speed with what the problem could be and, sure. you know, freshen up my memory on how that works. Cause well, I haven't touched it. Well, that's sort of the interesting element around this is gathering together a talented pool of people who mm -hmm. can stay busy with these specific skills. Cause you've brought them enough projects and enough work essentially that right. they can afford to be a specialist in that. 
Well, or, or they're already a specialist. It's more likely the opposite, right? Which is, you know, this person only does security. I mean, I work with many people that, you know, we have a security practice and um, I've worked with many people that do different aspects of security that I don't do. And even people that do what I do because there's only one of me. Right. Um, and maybe they do it better because that's all they do is mm -hmm. security. So I can bring them in to support work that I'm doing sometimes, you know, like it, if it touches certain subjects. So, um so I think that um, the the point is people are busy with things they like to do. Yeah. And if if they only like to work in big data, then they're busy not just working with me, but working with other people that they, they've already got a business. So I just know, oh, I can call you and I can get you in for an emergency for like an eight-hour day or whatever. Yeah. And it's, you know, I, I, I guess I'm not trying to focus so much on our business model, although I think that is a useful thing um, as much as it is that, you know, when you have problems in the cloud, they can traverse many, many areas. There's the general purpose things like general DevOps and understanding how to, you know, evolve a story around management, monitoring logs, figuring things out. And then there's things that become very specific, like, you know, something is pegging on this machine and we happen to be doing some sort of interesting image generation or, you know, report generating or, you know, SQL queries that are like, you know, super slow or who knows what the problem is, right? right. So getting the right expert in that knows how to figure out that. Um, and so it becomes an interesting story, right? Like how do you, how do you make sure teams have some sort of vested understanding of not only the technology, but then you bring in the people that built the app. Like they know what's going on in there. So I think you need a team and, and those things, that's how that story can pull together nicely. So that's how I've seen success at least, you know, um, which is very rewarding. Michelle, you know? have you seen uh, or have you gotten a chance to play with the new uh, Docker stuff in Azure? Only high level discussions about it. I think it's awesome though. Pretty cool, huh? Yeah, super cool. I mean, the speed with which you can spin up, you know, the equivalent of what it would be a VM, right? Mm. It's just a fabulous idea for scale and for, you know, crunching numbers or any sort of, yeah. I, I think it's going to end up being potentially a displacement to that's, VMs in general. That's what I think too. Yeah, which is yeah, it's pretty funny because I was just thinking, like, shouldn't we be getting out of VMs anyway? Websites are a better, you know, I want more platform, less infrastructure. Yeah. Right. Right. But Docker exactly. seems like the ultimate manifestation of that. It is. Yeah. And then you really get into a situation where you're not dealing with, you know, the security aspects of patching an OS and all of that. You can really leave that down below. Um, I think the issue really right now with Docker is that there's no isolation on the same VM. So you still, you know, you don't really have security between your your Docker instances, if you will. Between your own Docker instances? Right. Like if you if you have, uh, you can't do multi-tenancy with Docker on the same VM. Okay. Yeah, so effectively you're making a VM per Docker instance anyway. Well, unless you need to scale your own on a VM, you know, and, and have multiple of your own Docker instances, then it's all yours. That's, pro that's fine, right? But right. there's no security boundary right now that would isolate, I guess, different customers, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we want to get away from this idea of a VM at all, don't we? We just want a Docker instance. But they have to live somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, and it certainly is nice to spin them up quick. The mm -hmm. light, the lightweightness of them. The lightning fast, lightning yeah. fast, lightweightness. Yep. How absolutely. do you say that? The lightness of weight. <laughs> lightning fast lightness. I don't know. Yeah. If you could say it five times fast, I'd be very impressed. I'm not even going to try. 
Uh-uh. <laughs> I can't even say no. it once. <laughs> so, yeah. So Docker's pretty cool. Um, I don't know. There's a lot of interesting things. I'm glad Microsoft is behind Docker. That makes me happy. Um, you know, they're embracing Google as well. They're Kubernetes, right? Don't oh, know. yeah. We Thank talked about you. that with the, with uh, Brad Abrams, Google Cloud. Right. Oh, so, yeah. Okay. So Microsoft is embracing Kubernetes as well, right? So there's there's definitely a focus, it seems, on the future. Yeah. So I think that will be very nice to see. Azure has some nice things that other people don't have, right? The uh, whole Azure ML side of things with uh, now the acquisition of R. Nice. Really? Yeah. Wow. R, the stats language. Yes, exactly. Mm. So that's not really my deep area. I work a lot with uh, Lynn Langett, though, and she and I have been doing some kind of Azure Amazon uh, workshops, comparing the two stacks and trying to understand like where the strengths and where they're kind of very equivalent, right? And and how do you tell that story? And I think that there are certain things that Azure has that are very unique, and and that would be one of them, right? Mm-hmm. So their investment in Azure ML is is definitely potential. Not to mention just how drop dead easy it is to use on this yeah, side. Yeah, I think that's a. I mean, really, the platform as a service story is the winning, winning, winning feature yeah. in Azure, right? Like yeah. if you just want a simple environment for getting started lean and then evolving your story. I mean, everybody's going to want to automate DevOps at some point, right? Um, And you should, and you don't want to be going to a portal and doing deployments and manually clicking the swap button. But let's face it, when you're just starting out, like, so think of it, the startup, that's easy for you, right? Mm -hmm. It's time consuming, but it's easy. And it's easier than figuring out how do I automate some PowerShell scripts that do the push and then swap the staging and then swap back when something's wrong and, you know, automatically deploy all the moving parts, like that kind of thing. Um, build my VNet on the fly, right? Like all that takes time to get to. So the fact that you could go in and, and walk through, you know, the equivalent of wizards and or uh, web pages to interact is helpful. Totally agree. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yep. Time to stash the cash, cut the sass, get off your eye ass and pass the mass. <laughs> <laughs> you planned that that's awesome yeah that's my job that's the job (laughs) comes with a gig it's actually time to give away a music to code by cd and blu-ray dvd set to one lucky member of the dotnet rocks fan club but first let me tell you about it it's a three 25-minute quiet and groovy instrumentals designed to get you into a state of flow and stay there and I know that .NET Rocks fans are being more productive with Music to Code By, so see what all the fuss is about. Go to mtcb.pwop.com. That's pwop.com. Nice. So who's our winner, dude? Today's winner is Michael Joyce. Hi, congratulations, Michael. Yep. And uh, he just won my Music to Code By. And it's, uh, it's pretty good. If you don't know what we're talking about here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we like to give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member of the .net Rocks fan club. But you got to sign up to win. And also, we like to ask our guest, Michelle... 
You could buy an awful lot of uh, those USB coolers for $5,000, but if you really wanted to spend on technology, what would you buy? What would I buy with $5,000? Whoosh. I've never heard of a whoosh. Is that a, how do you spell that, actually? <laughs> Is that a dot com? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I just bought a Samsung watch, so I could get a whole lot of watches, but that's not going to be too helpful, is it? That's a lot of watches, although apparently the, the luxury model of the Apple iWatch is going to be like four grand. Wow. So that's is like that right? The, yeah, the gold Why? one. Yeah, it's going to be really like the base one. it's going to be gold? Yeah. Like you're going to have, oh, come on, really? A gold watch, yes. Yeah. That's crazy. Oh, so that's the thing now that they're going to leave people at the end of their 30 years working at a company, a special gold watch. Yes. You know, something along those lines. But that's, you know, they there's there's three different models in the Apple Watch span. It's sort of the base models about uh, $400, which is just basically, a, you know, a plastic one. The nice one, which is the the uh, sport version with the metal band and so forth, comes in about a thousand bucks. But the the really good one, four to five grand. So wow. I can assure you that my husband loves watches in that price range, and he will never in a million years buy one with technology on it. I'm just right. saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he likes the real dials and analog watches. Exactly. Well, and, you know, the crazy part, of course, is it's a watch that needs a phone. Right. Like, you have to have an iPhone. So I don't know what you guys think about the HoloLens. Um, Love it. You know, I, I think I think when when I saw the announcements of HoloLens and Surface Hub, my attention went to the Surface Hub. I think if I had, you know, cash, I want a I want a whiteboard in my house that I can like draw on and touch and whatever interact with and multi-purpose for other things. I want a Surface Hub. That would be my thing. Hmm. Yeah. It, that's it's ama- that, that looks amazing too. Because I just I don't game. I'm not into that. Probably because I don't have time. Yeah. So like me and gaming is limited to previous experiences, uh, late nights with like Mario Brothers and <laughs> like probably Doom after that, and a little bit of Counter Strike, and then I stopped. I was done. So yeah, yeah I got a little too f-ing busy. So um, <laughs> so sensors sensors. Yeah. <laughs> so you you. Well, you announced that that happens, right? <laughs> I can't have nearly the potty mouth of Miguel Castro, please. That is, uh, that should, you should have a t-shirt with that written on it. I'm f***ing busy. I'm really f***ing busy. Okay. So <laughs> Surface Hub, I'd go for that. That was yeah. a long way to get to that answer, but yeah. I, I am, I'm looking forward to both of them, but of course the, the HoloLens is a game changer for me. If it works as well as they say it does, I'm totally out, totally down with that. Cool. Yeah. Well, there you go. There you are. So is there anything that we can talk about in the uh, Google space or the Amazon space in terms of, you know, think concerns that your customers have um, and things that Azure does really well that the other two don't or, you know, the other way around? Is there stuff that uh, Amazon's got down and uh, Azure is still playing catch up? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, I've been doing some sort of collaborations with Lynn Langett because she's an Amazon hero and she's also an Azure SQL MVP. So Mm -hmm. we play a little bit of both sides, but again, she's stronger on the Amazon side. So we've been building these presentations um, that, 
you know, sort of cover a little bit of that. We're going to talk about it at Dev Intersection as well. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing that I've really enjoyed about this process is obviously it's pushed me into Amazon a little bit more than I have been in the past. And, you know, I, I have to say probably a couple of years ago, Azure wouldn't have weighed as strongly, but right now, if you start with the concept of, again, platform as a service, Azure yeah. is like the big winner, 100%, like no hands, you know, hands down, they're going to okay. win. Um, and so I think that when you, you know, I'm not necessarily a marketing and selling Azure. I mean, I'm happy to help people with designing applications for whatever cloud they want, mm -hmm. but um, it makes me happy to help people be productive. So I like Azure for that story. Um, and it makes me happy to help people be, you know, productive with DevOps and have a way to manage this and evolve their story into automation. So that I really like as well. Um, and then when you talk about how they are head to head, I mean, they both have IaaS. They both have, you know, a data story. We'll get back to that one because that's where there are some differences. They both have disaster recovery, right? They both mm -hmm. have secure environments. They can right. both do Active Directory and SharePoint and, and you know, all of those things. And I, I think that um, outside of PaaS, you know, where Azure really stands out is, again, in that holistic view of all the services. If you need a big picture plus that ease of use and PaaS story, it's just you're done. If you want to do anything that's Microsoft focused, Azure Active Directory, SharePoint, it's just Microsoft is obviously going to do that better than anybody because it's their it's their sweet spot, right? That's they, what do they do AD. Right, exactly. Right. So I would always th see that as being you're going to go there. Um, the thing that people get confused about, I think, is that they don't realize yet that Azure has as strong an IaaS story as Amazon. Amazon is just known as you know, the place you go for VMs. Right. So when people think VMs and when IT pros say, yeah, I just want to own it and manage it. That's what I'm used to. And they're not willing to look at the past story because whatever reason, like they don't think it can work. Um, they just want to continue the story the way they used to. They just think Amazon automatically yeah. out of the box. So they're just well, simply not aware that they can do the same thing in Azure. You know what I mean? It's not an unusual IT mindset, right? It's like, okay, right. yeah, I get I I don't want to run a data center. I don't want to own a server anymore. I'll just move these VMs over here. Right, exactly. Right. So You have to have a dev conversation for platform to matter. Right. I agree. Yeah. yeah. And, and so there's that. And, you know, both platforms have disaster recovery capabilities and, uh, built in features and some, you know, if you compare them side by side, there's going to be a win over here and a win over there. So it's not really a good idea to look. You have to go holistic. But whereas Amazon stands out is in their, you know, data story, right? So, you know, um, Azure has, you know, premium, uh, database, um, you know, with Azure DB. And they've got a ton of features evolving there that makes that story getting closer, closer, closer. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the RDS story, I guess, on the Amazon side is just still really strong. And that's because they are using SSDs and I guess it's built with Postgres and they have, well, you know, they, they have it automated like as if it's a platform as a service story, right? So for backup and recovery and all of those things. So I guess that story is just really strong and people like it. But if... But if you think about your holistic application, that's only one piece of it. So you got to ask yourself, do I really, is there a reason I need that? Mm. Is there a reason the Azure side isn't sufficient? So I, I suppose I'm putting my Azure hat on a little bit just because I happen yeah, to be an MVP and an RD and it's important to me. But and that's what you know. 
There's yeah, a, there yeah. is a Amazon EC2 container service now, which I thought was interesting. Um, you know, everybody's sort of jumping on this bandwagon. Yeah. Because it's, it seems like such a no brainer. Yeah, that's, they've definitely got a bit of a leap there. There's no question. But container, and this is sort of the point that containers is a generalized technology. Docker is one version of it. Sure. There's right. lots of folks, like I'm trying to figure out what shows we should do in the container space. <laughs> Let me tell you, a lot of people presenting stuff as here's a container technology. Yeah. Right. right. Well, and, and I guess the other thing is their story around uh, Redshift, right? So if you need, you know, a columnar store, Redshift is really super dirt cheap and, you know, that's so just what is Redshift? That, yeah, tell us. It's about a that. columnar store. So okay. you know, yeah, you're flipping the rows and columns, right? So if you've that that amount of data, that kind of data, so much of it in the petabytes that you can, you know, I guess do interesting analysis on it by flipping it into a columnar view. Um and again, lots of data, right? Petabytes or whatnot, then they just have a really good story there because it's super cheap too. Yeah, we haven't even talked about that at all. I'm interested yeah. on how that works, you know, if we have the same kind of queryability and that that kind of stuff that we get. Well, with. and it's not for everybody, right? Again, that's a very specific story, right? Like, um, what was the scenario? I was talking to somebody, um, I think it was uh, Chris Kinsman, one of the fellow RDs, you know, that he needed something like 2 million rows of async batch results, and they just sent it over to Redshift, and it takes like no time for to query, right? Mm. Like something like in the matter of um, six minutes, they can do an import into Redshift of 400 million rows or something. Mm. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? So, so again, that's a very special need. So the question becomes, is that driving your cloud choice? Probably not, unless you have a very special scenario. So I wouldn't say that just the fact that Amazon has that is uh, a deal breaker for somebody, you know, working with the Azure platform. But it's a thing Azure doesn't have today. So and what's your of course, favorite? you know, the, sorry, one other thing I want to say is that, you know, the features that are coming out on Azure, I mean, like if you looked at the history of the platform and how many features are released on a, you know, monthly basis, I mean, it's moving at lightning speed across yeah, all crazy. teams. So it's impossible to say like one feature not being there today. I mean, we could not even know when it's going to be there tomorrow, right? So it's um, it's kind of a really high stakes and fast moving game. What's your favorite identity management technology, Azure or not, these days? Because I know that they just added this uh, Azure Key Vault stuff recently. Mm-hmm. What's yeah, and then I mean, of course you know Dominic Bayer and all those guys, the Think Texture guys, they've got all sorts of great solutions for this. There are where are we headed that way. Yeah, that's a really good topic. So, so the, the reality is, well, first of all, Key Vault, I'm so happy exists, right? Because that's, you know, a key management story and securing those keys in Azure is really, really important. But really focusing more on the overall picture around identity. Um, Azure AD does Azure AD, like does synchronization with your on-prem really, really, really well. Mm. So if you are looking to, you know, onboard to the cloud, your, um, you know, on-premise directory so that people in your company can actually access cloud properties or SaaS properties, for example, uh, that would be one scenario um, through the cloud, then they can, right? And it really is a great story for that. Um, 
what they do provide that's kind of interesting on top of that is, you know, what we call password-based single sign-on. It's not the same as like true protocol-based sign-on where you redirect and log in over there at Facebook and then come back. And now because I clicked on a link that supports Facebook, it redirects me and comes back and I'm already in and I didn't have to type anything, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what they do instead is something of a scraping of while you log in, so you are entering your credentials for Facebook and it sort of um, will basically store them securely for you so that you can single sign on and get to Facebook again. So it's the other direction. Um, but they've got 2,800 apps that they do that for. Wow. So that's a lot. And so if you're a corporation, it has a bunch of co- people in your company that use, you know, everything from Salesforce to Facebook to, you know, some obscure, you know, application. I mean, Bentley Systems or something, you know, mm. it's there and and you can basically get the equivalent of a single sign-on without having to actually code single sign-on into your app so what's interesting about that or or to set up that in that app right like it's just it's funny because i really wasn't a fan of that feature at first i have to admit but when you put it in the context of a corporate customer that has this problem to solve it solves the problem right yeah so that's kind of neat Now, putting my identity hat on, right, I mean, the whole concept of, you know, using, you know, probably really today, the protocols are at the point where it would really be OAuth 2, and for that browser-based sign-on, it would be combined with uh, OpenID Connect. And so, I wouldn't even look at WS Federation anymore or Sample Protocol, but it's still out there, right, because there are applications that only support one of those. So you still have to sort of be able to play with it. Um, so if I was looking at those things, I wouldn't look at Azure AD because they don't really do that mm. uh, today. Um, but I would look at one of two options and you brought up ThinkTexture. So I work with Brock uh, and Dominic and ThinkTexture with their open source platform, right? Identity server. And mm-hmm. they're just awesome. Yep. So, I mean, that is a great um, sort of, it's it's a, it's a development tool, right? So it's basically like I built an STS with my company in the past, right? Um, but it's one that's available open source with all the protocols implemented. And then you build on top of that what you want the user management UI experience to be. So yeah. it's still, you have to develop some stuff to implement it. But that's the right thing for, you know, some people because they're just looking for something that fits on premise perhaps and works. If you're going to manage that in the cloud, then you could do that too. You'd have to deploy it to a VM. And, you know, because of, uh, you know, issues with certificates on websites, you couldn't use a website or a PaaS story, right? You'd have Mm -hmm. to use a VM or a cloud service. So that would be one of those examples, tying that back together. Um, But that's, again, that's a good story for somebody who's on a budget and has developers. And uh, I think that, you know, I work with them on one side with customers looking for that story. And then I also work a lot with Auth0. So I love those guys. Auth0? Again, yeah, Auth0 is like um, some great people, uh, many of them former Microsoft, um, and some some of them are, um, you know, MVPs I've known for years that always played in the identity space, really talented people. And the the team is growing like crazy right now. So These guys, I mean, they have an amazing software as a service product. They have identity as a service, but they do the whole package. So they integrate with Azure AD. So if you want to do the Azure Sync, you could still do all that. 
And then they also have all the other story around it, which is that, you know, protocol federation. So I can connect with Salesforce from a protocol redirect perspective um, to get my single sign on and integrate other apps in a similar way. Right. Yeah. Um, But what they provide is when you're thinking about audit compliance, which is so, so important these days. Right. Then essentially what you're getting is a service that is managed 24 seven before I even could blink when the poodle thing came out, they're already sending an email. We've already patched it. We're done. Like they're on top of it. Right. Like, 100%. They've got an amazing team. I've worked with them for several customers, actually. And the story is always a huge success. And they do everything for their customers. Like they just they cover it all. So you pay for that service. Um, But you also don't have to think about it then. But mm-hmm. you don't have to think about it. And more importantly, think about audits, right? So yeah, well, that's that I've been playing a lot is in audit and compliance because a growing number of companies that I work with are interested in, you know, getting certifications that they've actually passed audit. Um, because all of these scares, I mean, Sony is the most recent, but even before that, you know, everybody thinking cloud is thinking, how secure is it, right? So they're turning their attention to certifications and um, attestations, and they want to know how secure is Azure, and what certifications it passes, and can I use PaaS or not? Um, and it's not just PCI with credit cards, it's everything all the way to FERPA with education, right? Um, and, and, you know, there's, there's a lot I could say about how it's beneficial to go to a platform like Azure that has all of these compliance checks. Well, and I've run into exactly that with my customers where when they got into their security audit, the fact that they were running on a professional cloud provider just created a checkbox. You you know, the same reason you use the big four accountants for your financial audits. Mm. That's a good point. It's exactly the same thing. Yep. 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 So, 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 I find that it's it's very interesting that having a service like an Auth0, for example, is another one of those checkboxes. So now all of my password, you know, processes, management of those passwords, you know, regulations that you have, um, uh, management of logs and audit trails of all the logins and, you know, the protection of those. And um, it's kind of one chunk, not all of it, but one big chunk of my audit compliance taken care of for me. And then I just have to roll that story in with the rest of my application and that set of audits, like what kind of audit logs, cyber logs do I keep and how do I review them for my SOC type two compliance, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, just running down that whole chain of different compliance and I've got regulatory things. I'm working in financial services like it's it's all the same kinds of problems. And the more you can offload, like, did you want to be good at that? Really? Right. You know, do you want to cultivate that skill internally or is it more useful to have it as a service? You pay for it monthly and it's just taken care of. You can right. focus on your thing. Well, can you cultivate that internally? I mean, it's how hard. do you how do you have the time to have a, a person dedicated a hundred percent on compliance regulation? And never mind that, then there's implementing the controls. Yeah. Because it's not just, there's one person has to know it. So I find I end up working a lot with people in a company who are the expert at their compliance requirements, right? Because it's one thing for me to say, yeah, I've been through a lot of these preparation people for audit where, you know, we have our list of controls and, and, and it varies across customers, but generally speaking, they overlap in certain ways. But there's always something special, right? Like 
our company requires this. Right. And, and, you know, they're getting that from maybe some other, you know, regulatory body in their environment, or maybe they took a piece out of, you know, the type, the SOC one type two that somebody else didn't find important. And they said, no, this is on the list, you know? Um, so you have to work with their group. The HIPAA is another example, obviously, right? So, I mean, not every hospital no or lab or whatever implements HIPAA the same way. They have to cover the basics, but how they do it is usually a technical evaluation also that goes yes. into checklist of controls. So you have to work with them and say, okay, tell me your requirements. They have to help you build that. So if they rely on me to give it to them, they'll probably hit 80% or 70%, but there's that extra 20, you know, that, that is really, you know, coming from their perspective on the environment and their customers that they work with. And it might not be the same for a startup in healthcare that does only limited things in, you know, rehab, for example, yeah. uh, versus a company that does, you know, like obviously healthcare for hospitals with patient data. Yeah, the rules are different in different industries and, and different countries too. Like I, True. I'm dealing with auditing from individual European countries, each one in their own set of rules. It's right. hours of fun. Right, yeah, speaking right. of multiple countries and independent rules, is there any uh, change in the hesitation or the outright refusal of companies to move their data to Azure that we were experiencing last year and the year before? Oh, we're going to experience that in certain countries for a very long time to come. Yeah. And it's I not mean, just I, the countries, the businesses that are concerned about their data. Is that right? Is that still the same story? Nothing new there? I think there's a great evolution right now of companies in healthcare, government, um, education. Those would be like the top three, I guess, or among the top three um, that, that care a lot about this and concern themselves with. And in the beginning, we're not so easy to adopt over to the cloud, right? Mm -hmm. Or migrate to the cloud. So I see a definitely an increase in acceptance of cloud being safer, actually, uh, and better for them. Um, so I, I think we're doing really well there, at least in the US. And I think in, in other countries, certainly it's evolving. But I mean, not that I'm going to speak as an expert for, for various countries, but I would say I know, like, from my friends in Germany, for example, like, I mean, they just simply can't yeah. look at, you know, Azure or Amazon. I mean, they just can't. So they need private clouds. They, they don't, they have too many regulations around data transference, I guess, out of the region and, mm -hmm. and whatnot. So yeah. again, that's definitely not a hundred percent my expertise, but, um, but from people I've talked to, yeah, that's going to be an issue for a while. Well, Michelle, I think, I think it's about time to put the kids to bed uh -oh. and, uh, We'll, we'll continue on to that traditional part of the Michelle LaRue Bustamante.net Rock show where she tells a dirty joke. But if you don't have one, Richard actually came up with one in the middle of the show. And it's not really a joke, but it is hilarious and we'll all have a good laugh over it. Shall we? Or do you have I one? I want to hear, I want to hear his first. All right. It's not a joke. It's a website. <laughs> Foas.com. F-O-A-S-S. No. F-O-A-A-S dot com. Go there now. Okay. Oh, my God. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> what? So go what? ahead and read it to us. It's uh, F-O-A-A-S, and it is f*** off as a service. 
<laughs> okay, so I'm just so glad that's on the pro- internet. Provides a modern, restful, scalable solution to the common problem of telling people to fuck off. What's <laughs> what's new in 0.1.4? I18N. See interna- internationalization below. Mm. Interesting. So that's internationalized even. So now they have other languages. Translation provided by mymemory.translated. Specify question mark I18N on its own. It will attempt to detect your browser language. Let's see what that does. <laughs> mymemorytranslated.com. Just so if it. I say, if I say F- off in my memory translated, what do I get? I have to specify two different languages. Hang on. Let's pair English and, well, I wonder, you know, I do speak Spanish, but I don't know if there's a word for f*** oh, off. Let's just try it. You know, um, I just try. <laughs> here, here, oh, try this one. Just, you know, you can assemble your own little URL here pretty quickly, like dot com slash you slash Michelle slash Carl returns f*** you michelle and then carl no <laughs> it's a real service okay i'm going to try it you richard michelle <laughs> you richard dash michelle it's from me how funny Isn't i love that it awesome you know what i can't beat that guys that's got to be the <laughs> that's like you have officially absconded with my joke of the day that is too awesome to follow that is now our favorite azure themed dirty joke okay <laughs> officially stop as a service yes and i know you will use it in your presentations i i may do that especially in times when yes there have been drinks involved excellent okay well with that that's a show michelle it's always great to to talk to you or to to listen to you talk we it's an education every time thank you Thank you for having me. Awesome, guys. All right. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC.